welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I'm joined by Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. And we don't have Tom Dorian. No. Uh, no, he's out at another cheese festival or something, I think is what he said. <laughs> uh, he wants to get his charcuterie uh, degree or something. Yes, I don't know. Yes. Anyway, we wish him well, and we hope he's going to be back with us soon. But we are now, I mean, the, the entire Catholic Cafe is, uh, we got the purple napkins out. Yes. Right, we are decked out in purple uh, in celebration of Advent. We love Advent here. Happy New Year, by the way, Deacon Jeff. Yeah, happy liturgical, liturgical New, New Year. Year. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yes, and that I can... That was my noisemaker, my liturgical noisemaker. <laughs> no, we no. shouldn't have those. <laughs> those are bad. Do not. Anyway. <laughs> those are anathema. We are going to do something unique uh, this uh, Advent, so I yes. hope you'll tune in to all four episodes of the Catholic Cafe uh, that will air in uh, during Advent here, because we're going to take the kerygma, yes. and we're going to uh, correct, we're going we're gonna to separate it into its four parts, and we're going to uh, examine each one of those parts as part of our, as, as an Advent series, an opportunity, we thought like, what has four things? Ah, the kerygma, yeah. right? And so I know many people are out there, you know, going, what is the kerygma? It's not a word we hear all the time. Right. You know, I, I, uh, my kerygma was inflamed at one point on the doctor, gave me some medicine, <laughs> and everything got better. You know, and we don't always know. And I, I know I'm joking. Most people know what the kerygma is because I'm preaching to the choir here to some degree. But a lot of people may, um, I think some church theologians and I guess just people that go to church a lot have realized that maybe we've lost a sense of the kerygma. Yes. No, I think it's fair to say. I mean, and, and really... You know, we often hear about our Protestant brothers and sisters speak of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, yeah. and many in the Catholic Church don't speak in those terms. Um, you know, the fact is that there's many Catholics who probably attend church every Sunday, but if they're asked if they have a personal relationship with Jesus... We might even say, I don't think so. Right. Well, I mean, and, and, and of course... You know, we have Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist, but we've also seen the Pew poll results where less than a third of Catholics in the United States believe in the real presence. Right. So if you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, he's there in the tabernacle. Right. That's right? He's, true. He's confected there on the altar at every mass. Right. And we might even say, well, no, because we're not really understanding the words. We don't use those kind of words. Well, here's the thing. At the end of the day, if we haven't, as a church, if we haven't done a good job of introducing people to the person of Jesus, then it should shouldn't surprise us if they can't recognize him when he comes to them in the Eucharist. Uh, you know, and so for us, the kerygma, that is the traditional way to introduce uh, a person to the person of Jesus Christ, to that personal encounter. We should talk about what that word actually means. It's a Greek word. It's a Greek word. It means proclamation. Right. Uh, and, it, and it has uh, four parts, right? And we have four Sundays of Advent, and so we're going to dedicate a Sunday to each part of the kerygma. Yeah. You know, the first part is, you know, the... the uh, the goodness of creation culminating in the creation of man in God's image, right? After that, you have sin and its consequences. The third part of the kerygma is God's response to our sin through Jesus. And then fourth part of the kerygma is our response to God, right? And John Paul II, actually, or Saint, Pope St. John Paul II, yeah, that's right. Pope Saint. has a, uh, a great quote about the kerygma. And he says that it's the initial ardent 
proclamation by which a person is one day overwhelmed and brought to the decision to entrust himself to Jesus Christ by faith. You know, you say overwhelmed, and that's not something all of us genuinely feel every time we hear the gospel. Right. A lot of times our- we go to mass, we hear the gospel, we, we hear the word of God, we, we commune with God. Yes. And are we overwhelmed? Right. Or are we sometimes, we're showing up to Mass because we're supposed to be there on Sunday. We've got a lot of things on our mind. Oh, where are we going to lunch later? Oh, how did the my football team do? You know, things like that a lot of times distract us or even legitimate things in the world distract us. Cares that we might have as a father and mother for our children and things like that. We get distracted and we're in church. That moment while we're in church, that's an, an opportunity to encounter mm. the living God yeah. physically present. And we are supposed to be overwhelmed by his presence and by his, what he has done for us. And I think if, if, if you are listening to this and you think to yourself, I don't know if I've ever been overwhelmed by the gospel. And it's just something I've been doing going to church, but I don't know if I've been overwhelmed then our goal here at Catholic Cafe is to help invite you into that place of being overwhelmed by the gospel and that you, uh, along with all of us in Radio Land, may renew our commitment to entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ by faith. And that's what that's and you know what, that's really what Advent is about. Yes. Right. Advent is a period of of, of of longing, of awaiting, and really a period of transformation, but also a period of, of preparation. Yes. So if we're going to study the kerygma here in this way, then we are preparing ourselves to do what Jesus has asked us to do, not only for ourselves, but for all those that we meet. Right. And so that we can make a gift of ourselves on Christmas oh, to I, oh, Jesus. Oh, I see what you did there. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to yes. give you a candy cane for that one. <laughs> That's good. So, so ultimately, you know, it's about building up a person. When you're proclaiming the kerygma, you're building up a person in the heart knowledge that God is real and that he loves you and that he desires to become Lord of your life if you're willing to entrust yourself to him. Um, and, and so our hope here is to invite you into experience the kerygma, but also to equip you to invite others into the kerygma as well. Right. So advertisement's done. Marketing is done. Stick <laughs> with us for these four topics that we're going to have and the four parts of the kerygma but we should start with the first we should start with the first and again that's the goodness of creation culminating in the creation of man in god's image now normally when this topic is presented it often focuses on the vastness of creation the wonder and awe that we are to have at the vastness of creation uh the wonders and majesty of creation and and this portion of the kerygma you know often begins with the question of why is there something Rather than nothing. I mean, we've all stood on the beach. We've looked out there at the at the vastness, and we do fall into almost like this this sort of we sub, we we submit ourselves to eternity. Right yeah. at that moment, where we're standing there, you know, on the beach, and we think like, "Wow!" You, and wonder and awe is the right way to say that. Or those new telescope uh, the images uh, from the that NASA has been developing. That's People right. have been caught up in the wonder web. and awe. The Webb telescope, the James yeah. Webb telescopes. People have been caught up in wonder and awe and see peering into the universe with greater and greater clarity of the beauty 
that's out there. And it goes the other way, too, because they've got some incredible microscopes that go to the, they're looking for the God particle, the smallest, yeah, tiniest particle, right. aren't they? So, you know, and but, that's a good point. But that's the vastness. That's the vastness, but also that the smallness, because uh, God, God is present at both the biggest levels, but also at the tiniest levels. I mean, if you're at the micro scale, the quantum scale, there's vast amount of space between uh, the neutrons and the electrons in ways that most people don't aren't aware of in the same way there's vastness of space at the macro scale and god is god of all of it and he is present at all of it and we're going to explore that and we're going to talk about that um but there's an, another focus that we want to zero in on it's not just the vastness of it because at, at the if we're if our topic is the goodness of creation we have to explore and share the goodness of its creator the goodness of god and, and we live in a time when many uh question God's goodness or just the goodness of the church. Many of us are, are you know, the church is under attack oftentimes saying, well, that's a repressive institution yeah. that's spreading backwards ideas. Yeah. And everyone sees, I mean, they see all the negative in the world. Yes. It's easy to see. You just look at the news for like three seconds. Right. Right. And you hear about shootings, you hear about racism, you hear about inequity and of all different kinds and un, uh, unjustness, if that's a word. All these terribly... Uh, uh, negative things that are happening in the world. It's easy to believe, like, well, if God created this, he can't be much of a God. Right. Right, and he's not. He's obviously not very good. Well, there's evil, there, there's that at the big scale, and then a lot of us also, there's suspicion at the micro scale, right? Where a lot of us say, well, he's this rule maker. Oh, and yeah. He's trying to take all the fun out of my life. If he, was, if he really loved me, he'd let me do this thing. And he's telling me I can't do it, and that must be that he doesn't love me, right? And so... We first need to, you know, before we really get into this question of why is there something rather than nothing, in order to really answer that, we have to, we have to go before there was something. To, we have to look at its source. We have to look where, back, go back to where there was nothing but God. And I, and I want to invite us to put ourselves in God's shoes. Wait, so you're asking people to think like God? Well, <laughs> it's very hard to do. I get it. But here's the thing. Okay, so a lot of times when we talk about like, uh, you know, God, uh, and, and what what would it be like if I were God? We kind of think of things like Bruce Almighty, right? Yeah, uh, right. Where we're, we're we're trying to think of what I would do if I had all this power. And it's like it's not about that. Let's let's really put our try and put ourselves in, into the shoes of imagine that you have no beginning and no end, that you are all powerful, that there is no other God but you, no competition, no competition. <laughs> Right, you are utterly uh, inconquerable, utterly invincible, all powerful, all you know, knowing. Uh, imagine that you're bigger. If you're if you're God, you're bigger than the entire physical universe. Now, like, how big is that? So I, I wrote down some numbers. Yeah. Okay. So everyone, prepare yourself because we're <laughs> going to rifle through some numbers here, and it's really important because, like, well, so let's just say this: just if you're driving, make sure your seat belt is firmly buckled. <laughs> if you're walking around your house doing your laundry or whatever, you might want to sit down just for a second and listen just for a second. So the universe, the universe is 93 billion light years across. So, so what does that mean? So a light year is how long it takes for light which is the fastest thing, fastest moving thing that we know of in the universe, is the, it's the, it's the a light year is how long it takes for light to travel in a year. So to put this in perspective, the sun is eight light seconds away from us. It takes eight seconds for light to travel from the sun to us. So if it blows up, 
You got eight seconds. You have eight seconds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the sun is 91 million miles away. 91 million miles. And that is what eight light seconds are. So how many miles are in a year? Five trillion. Okay. So that's, that's how many uh, miles there are in a light year. Five trillion miles. So, like, how big is a trillion? We hear that number all the time because we talk about, like, the, the nation's debt. debt. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 31 exactly. trillion or whatever. So, how big is a trillion? Well, if you count from one to a trillion, it would take you over 31,000 years. Wow. See, isn't it amazing? We have 31,000, 31, 31 uh, trillion uh, dollars in debt. <laughs> so <laughs> I know, that's right? an interesting connection. But... Oh, I'm going to repeat that. If if you count from one to a trillion, it would take you over thirty-one thousand years. Yes, I don't think any of our listeners are going to live thirty-one thousand years on so. this earth. And, and, and Maybe an eternity, but and that's just right, exactly. And 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 there are five trillion miles in a light year, and the light year has there's ninety-three billion. The universe is ninety-three billion light years across, so it's ninety-three. And that's billion. what we can see, right? Exactly, of the observable universe. 93 billion yeah. times 5 trillion. So God's big. And he's bigger than all of that. I mean, he's bigger than all of space. He's bigger than all of time. God is outside of time. God created time. So, again, imagine. It's, it's hard for us to imagine eternity, really. Right? Like, we, we can't. I mean, we, we, we can't put it in human terms because we don't experience so it is it is something that is that is mysterious it's 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 only conceptual but there but the, the reality is it's really hard for us to put things in in eternal terms when we're human well see so 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 james joyce in portrait of the artist as a young man he gave a really cool uh, account that, that i'm going to draw from here and he said imagine uh he had a character who said this imagine a bird um, who's who's uh, who's at a vast beach? It's a beach that stretches out as far as you can see in the horizon, and there's an ocean that stretches out as f- in the other direction as far as you can see in the horizon. And imagine this bird picks one little grain of sand into its beak, and it travels across that ocean. And le- imagine it moves the entire beach one grain at a time across that ocean. It it tra- travels across, drops off the grain, brings it back, and it does that for every single grain until the entire beach is moved. Even after it's done that, you can't, not even a second in eternity has passed. Even if that, that, that bird has done it a million times, a billion times, a trillion times over, even then, you can't say that uh, a, a moment in eternity has passed. So that put yourself in God's shoes. You're bigger than all of space, all of time, and you've created all of space, all of time effortless, effortlessly. Uh, and, and you've created all the 100 billion galaxies in the universe, each with 100 billion stars. You created all of them. And remember, too, like if you divide infinity, you still get infinity. So what does that mean? God can give 100% of his attention to the entire universe, even at the smallest scale. Every proton, every electron, and everything below that. God can simultaneously give 100% of his attention to every imaginable piece of the universe, including you. The God of the universe, the God responsible for all his create all all creation, he has his eyes fixed on you. You, you have a hundred percent of God's attention. Yeah, see, that's incredible, and I think a lot of people forget that. Right, and they don't think in terms of that. They think that he's so busy out there with all these things he's managing, he doesn't have time for me. Right, right. There's uh, there's uh, certain uh, we'll call them heresies or views of God. Right, uh, you know, like deism and things like that, where the God is like this great 
uh, clockmaker, right. right? Who 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 made this clock and started it going, and he steps back and he has no involvement nor care, right, for what happens to us individually as as small pieces of his grains of sand in yeah, his yeah. creation. But no, he can give a hundred. He's so big, he can give a hundred percent of his time to each of us, and not just to each of us. Literally, each of our atoms and all the particles that make up our again atoms. think eternity and infinity. Right. Right. And so now, some of us could hear that and be like. Guys, that sounds like a lot of pressure. Yeah. (laughs) God is giving me 100% of his attention. He's always watching. Well, so I'm reminded by Bishop Barron. He he once said that if you were a guru sitting on a mountain and people had to climb a mountain to hear him just say one spiritual truth, it would be this. God doesn't need you. See, that sounds awful. No, it does. I don't. Well, it's kind of surprising to hear someone say that. Well, we also don't want to confuse that with want you. Right. Right. Yes. God God doesn't need you. Well, because God is God. He's sufficient unto himself. Right. He doesn't need you to complete him. He's complete. Right. And so if he he needed you, that would be bad news. If he needed you, I mean, he would have every tool at his disposal to control you. Right. And you don't want that God that can be defined in that way. Right. That is deficient in something that he would need you. And we've had relationships, I'm sure, whether it's in family, whether it's work or friendship relationships or romantic relationships where somebody was really controlling in our life because they really needed us. Or maybe we've been that person. But then how are we? But so how does that tell us then how we've been created? Well, so so God, because he doesn't need us. What that necessarily means is that you, me, all of us, each of you, we've all been loved into existence. Yeah, see, this is different. Now, this is, I like this. Yeah. This sounds good that we were loved. It's like, I didn't need to make you. I wanted to make you. Right. You, you, are, the, you are the natural fruit of the outpouring of my spirit, of my love yes. for the world. And all of creation, he, he created out of love. And, and we hear this phrase, God is love. But many of us don't know what that means. Right. And so just to remind everyone, as we're talking here with Sam about uh, this first part of the career, the goodness of creation, we're talking about the goodness of creation. And we went to all this uh, expanse to tell you just how big creation is and essentially to sort of numerically, if you will, prove and help you to see that God uh, cares for every tiny littlest particle in all of that creation. Yes. Right? And that he loved us into existence. Yes. So we're going back to the goodness of creation. And so love to love is to will the good of the other for the sake of the other. And, and to freely choose to will the good of the other for the sake of the other. Right. And it's not hashtag love is love. Right. Right. That actually becomes, it sort of trivializes love. Well, like imagine for a second if everyone in the world freely made the choice to will the good of each other, each other person in the world for their sake. Like, wouldn't we have world peace at oh, that point? At a minimum. Right. <laughs> I mean, love is not just a buzzword, right? Like, as we look into this question of the goodness of creation, it's, it's important that we look at the love that underlies it. Like, if, if there is a God, which there is, and God is love, which he is, then that, we, we should, if we're going to look at the, uh, the goodness of creation, let's, let's embrace love. Let's examine love as the deepest grain of truth in the universe. That's really what we have to do when we're proclaiming the charisma and the goodness of creation, culminating in the creation of the human person. We have to really focus on love. You know, love is at the same time, there's a mystery to love. Love is at the same time, it's a yearning, a giving, and a union. 
It is the source of happiness and goodness, and it is at the same time the substance of happiness and goodness. It is the humble act of self-sacrifice. It is that thing which inspires us to transcend ourselves for the sake of a higher good, because love is that higher good. Thus, love is both the source and substance of all transcendence within the realm of human experience. Love is courage. Love is the strength to bear our neighbor's burden. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is the hope of the afflicted, the hope of the needy, the hope of the brokenhearted. Love is both a guide and a destination. Love heals. Love comforts. Love forgives and begs forgiveness. Love provides refuge from all fear and anxiety. Love is the source of all joy and peace. Love is our goodwill. It is the source of all mercy and gratitude. Love sustains us. Love perfects us. Love provides the pattern by which all souls should be ordered. It is the source of all righteousness and compassion. It is the only thing that carries the promise of bringing unity to the Holy Family, uh, to, to the human family, if we only are willing to put our trust in it. Love is the source of all justice, for there is no moral order in the universe higher than love. Love is all of these things and more. I mean, essentially, I mean, love becomes the motivator, yes. right, that moves all things. Love is the glue that holds all things together. Yes. Right? Love is the fuel that powers all things, right? Essentially, love is the goal that we try to attain, and then love is the prize that we attain. Yes. It's, 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 it's like all, it's the economy of love. And we can draw upon our own human experience to embrace that, to look upon love and how it's moved in our life, how it's moved within us, and really invite ourselves to think about love as being the deepest grain of truth in the universe and really embrace that teaching that God is love. So, so now let's put ourselves again in God's shoes. You are, you are God. You are truth itself. You can create an entire universe. You can populate it with souls. You can give 100% of your attention to the entire universe in every aspect. Would you create people just to control them? Then why would you do that? Right. <laughs> because because you know what? If you did it just to control them, then you need something. Right. And God doesn't need you. You've yeah. been loved into existence. And so he has chosen not to control you. Precisely to invite you into love. And that's why love and freedom go hand in hand. Love necessarily must be freely given yes and freely received the same thing that we choose that we use to choose when we choose sin or 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 hurt people we're we're using our freedom that's the same thing that makes it possible for us to choose love think about every every wedding you know and, and when you give the consent yes have you come here freely Right. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's at the basis of everything that involves love. When going back to physics as an analogy, just as wa a wave travels through a medium, like light travels through space, yeah. love travels through freedom. So God, God gave us freedom to make it possible for us to choose love. Right. Forced love, coerced love is not love. Right. He has chosen to not control us. He has chosen to give us freedom precisely because he's created us to become love, to become like him, his children. And so this is why creation culminates in the creation of the human person. You know, we see all these various creatures in the world, yet only human beings are given minds to contemplate God, contemplate the nature of things, contemplate morality and the freedom to choose God, to choose faith, to choose love. You know, the dinosaurs roamed the earth for what? Hundreds of millions of years? I don't know the exact number, but it was a long time. It was... And yet among those dinosaurs, none of them were theologians or philosophers. I'm not sure... <laughs> I'm I mean, well, sure. there is Barney. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but seriously, though, all of creation, the entire universe was created effortlessly as a love letter to us, his children. 
you know, he has loved us into existence. He's created us in his image. He's created us to embrace the fullness of his image image by calling us to love. So his love is the goodness that underlies all of creation. And it is his love that makes it possible for us to embrace our goodness as his children. But of course, that's not something we can do without him. Yeah. So that's, so that's really beautiful. And so you see this and we see that suddenly this vastness, but at the same time, we see not only something that is so vast that we can't conceive of it. It's also so in, in, um, uh, in love with us. Yes. Right. And, and, and to the, to the tiniest particle of us. Yes. Right. Uh, surrounding, he surrounds us. So this is, this is God. And that's why I think as part of the, the first part of the charisma. Yes. Right. Then becomes our recognition of this good and great God that, that essentially loves us into existence. Yes. Right. And, and that, that part is necessary to the charisma. And is there bad stuff that happens? Do people misuse their freedom? Yes, we do all the time. Other people do it all the time and, and cause all sorts of pain and hurt in the world. But again, there, there's even love underlying God giving us the, uh, that freedom, you know, because if we didn't have that freedom, it wouldn't be possible for us to become love. Yeah, well, and also I'm thankful that God loves us into existence. And I'm thankful that when we use our freedom poorly yes right and we choose poorly and we sin or we cause a grief or whatever and essentially we're fallen in that way um i'm i'm glad that god didn't suddenly discard us into the great wastelands of time well again he's outside of time right so it's impossible for we get sometimes get surprised when we sin or make mistakes but we don't have the capacity for surprising god no one does so god has a perfect plan that takes all of our mistakes into account and all the mistakes of everybody else into account. So if you're looking at your life right now and saying, man, I've really made a mess of my soul. I've really not followed God. Guess what? It's not too late. It's never too late. God knew you'd be exactly where you are right now as you're listening to this podcast. And that's important to understand. I think I'll probably end up every one of these particular episodes with this, this, this view and understanding and I just want people hearing this, even though we know we recognize we're sinners, as you're saying, God loves us as we are. Yes. He loves the broken us. Yes. He loves the, the not good us. Uh, the, he doesn't, and he doesn't love the future us, the better us, the newer improved us, right? He, he's not, he's not going to wait to hold his love and I'll love you when you do this. He saw all of us when he loved us into existence and 100%. chose to cover all of us now he, in that He love. does call us to him, which means that, well, he doesn't, he loves us as we are, but he doesn't want us to stay as we are. Right. He wants to transform us with his love. Yes. And that's what the charisma is all about. Amen. Well, this is a great start to our Advent uh, and so uh, tune in for these next three episodes. They're going to be great. And we ask the Blessed Mother also to love us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff.com at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.